Welcome back to Round 12, the podcast that will always be dedicated to growth, development, and motivational mastery. I am your host, Sensei Roger B. Hamilton. Thank you for joining us again today for another episode of the Round 12 podcast series. Let's go get it. Thank you, my dear ancestors. Ship ahoy, ship ahoy, 
Thank you, my dear ancestors, for all that you endured so that I might live free. You know, I wrote this today in a sense of inspiration, in a sense of recognition for all that's going on around us, and in realistic recognition of the fact that some folks just don't know. So I took a few moments to write some things down, and then to make it part of my podcast today. So stay with me if you like. Before I'm done hosting this podcast or writing books or speaking publicly or recounting stories to my sons or just living, I must publish this episode. In honor of those who came before me and all of us who remain, I say thank you. Thank you for the courage, the strength, the endurance, the fortitude, the honor, the grace, the capacity, the principles, the history, and the love. It was your unshakable memory of the future which made it possible for us to live even now. Your pronounced and incomprehensible power of survival and purpose, whether I realize it or not, made me who I am today. It brought me over my own passage, though not the horrible middle passage you endured, but the confusing and in-it-but-not-of-it journey through the U.S. of A, my home, for all intents and purposes. It is at this time that I'm obliged to say a word for you. I make this admission right now before those who would hear it, that I cry for you at night sometimes. I can hear your screams during my own dreams, and I wonder what to do. I see your vintage photos, and you remind me of my mother and my grandmother and their anguish and challenge. And I pause, for sometimes just a minute, and other times much longer. Mine is an obligation to remember. Mine is a duty to press on. But mine is also a memory to hold on to, even when its beauty is shrouded and its joy is limited. I must remember that we have value. Although our roots are entangled within the bundles of spindly, surging connections, we hold fast to the truth that we are braided, one strand at a time, by blood and bone to the enslaved human beings whose head and shoulders we rest upon. I swear to you. I never forget you. I always remember that were it not for you, there would be 
know me. So I bow my head in lasting tribute to all that we share and trust. I lift my head up high as well, because in honor of you, I must. Maybe someday, the respect of others and the laws of the land will favor and lean our way. But until that morning, until that night, I will honor your memory like Zora did this way. Zora Neale Hurston brought the black experience alive. She wove stories that spoke to us in stark fashion about our history. Her last published novel, Barracoon, the story of the last black cargo, does exactly this. Although published 90 years after she wrote it, Barracoon is one of Miss Hurston's earliest works. Nothing prepares you for the story of Uluale Kosula, who was given the slave name of Cujo Lewis. Cujo was previously thought to be the last known survivor of the slave ship, the Clotilda. Later, another survivor, Rudoshi Sally Smith, was located. Then she was deemed the last survivor. Miss Hurston studied cultural anthropology before she decided to write novels. It is the reason she was so adept at writing dialogue, which reflected the time period of her characters. She strove to be historically accurate, and because of that, she faced criticism from contemporaries such as Richard Wright, author of Native Son, who claimed she perpetuated stereotypes about black people by writing characters as if they were minstrels. She didn't let this criticism deter her. Instead, she continued to write po prose that brought her characters to life in a way that informed us about their culture and history. This is one of the many reasons her novels are still discussed, critiqued, and praised. Her words live on because she helps us understand our ancestors when they are no longer here to tell their own stories. In Barracoon, Ms. Hurston conveys Cujo's words in his own dialect. She conducted a series of interviews with him, and what came out of those interviews was a heartbreaking story of a young man kidnapped from Africa who survived the Middle Passage and lived to see the inaction of the Emancipation Proclamation. His lined face tells us of the harsh life he survived. His words cut deep as his story unfolds. Cujo was born in what is now the country of Benin in West Africa. He was kidnapped at age 19 by a neighboring tribe and sold into slavery. Unfortunately, it wasn't uncommon for Africans to sell other Africans to white slavers. His harrowing account of the Middle Passage is a grim tale of inhumanity and physical abuse. His terror and uncertainty are made even more horrific for the readers because unlike Cujo, we know what awaits him in America. Reading his story in Barracoon gives us a rare first-hand account of the Middle Passage. The stories we do know tell us of the brutality of this voyage. Cujo himself speaks of wanting to die on more than one occasion during his, his passage on the Clotilda, the last slave ship to dock on U.S. soil. The sights, the smells, 
The tastes are described in explicit detail from the surviving stories of enslaved Africans who made the trip. As I read Cujo's account, the illustration I have seen of Africans packed into a ship's hold flashed through my mind. I remembered the other accounts of the Middle Passage I've read. None of the Africans had been on such a ship before. Many became seasick during the voyage. They also were sick with worry, wondering about their families and the uncertainty of what lay ahead for them. Many died, and it wasn't uncommon to be chained for days to someone else who had died. Until a crew member came down to remove the body and unceremoniously toss it over the side. The kidnapped Africans were given meager rations. Even if the captain lost some cargo, he could still make a profit when he sold the Africans at auction. Imagine, day in and day out, hearing the sounds of retching, the moans of agony, the cries of loneliness. Imagine during the smells, enduring the smells of unwashed bodies, urine and vomit permeating the small space with nowhere to go to breathe in fresh air. These voyages were not a matter of weeks, but a matter of months. Cujo's voyage took 70 days. During this time, the stolen Africans were starved, beaten, and raped. There was no escape unless they jumped overboard or died by some other means. Cujo is the face we needed to complete the picture of these brutal voyages that brought our ancestors to this country. His story makes me think about my ancestors, whose journey is lost to me. I wonder if they endured the same thing. I wonder how many of my ancestors didn't survive. I think about the strength it must have taken to fight to live. I wonder how the ones who knew they were dying felt when they realized they would never see their loved ones again. I wonder about the ones who did survive the journey and came to the same realization that their families were lost to them as well. Ms. Hurston shares this story so vividly that we can picture a young Cujo in our minds. We see a 19-year-old young African man chained and naked as he's marched from his village to an awaiting ship. His terror of the unknown must have been unbearable. Although Cujo came to America with no family, Many slaves were kidnapped along with relatives only to see them sold off and separated at auction. Cujo mentioned he was kept in a barracoon or barracks until he was sold. He must have been there long enough to see the suffering of his fellow Africans. Perhaps that was the first time his eyes took in the overseer's whips and the auctioneer chanting as white men competed for the strongest bucks and the most fertile wenches. Cujo doesn't go into detail about what it was like to be bought, but it must have felt like a nightmare that would never end. We know much about the lives of enslaved people on plantations. They worked from sunup to sundown, and overseers were not lenient with their whips. And here's a moment where I stop for a second and share something contemporary from 19 or 2020. For a a previous employer and an associate in the process asked me 
in my capacity as a manager to make sure you crack the whip for those people. What he didn't know is he lost me forever. I haven't felt the same about him since. Cujo talks about the ever-present threat of whippings. So while there may not regularly have been physical violence, the threat of a beating was enough to keep them performing the back-breaking labor until they stumbled to their shacks each evening. In Barracoon, Ms. Hurston told how she waited for Cujo to convey his stories. She seemed to understand the pain that reliving these experiences caused him. So she relayed afternoons 
they spent eating watermelon under a tree outside of his shack or just sitting together listening to the silence. Ms. Hurston must have been astounded by what she heard as she listened to this man telling story after story of his life. A life that profoundly changed Miss Hurston and influenced how she viewed the black experience in her later writings. The interviews captured in the book took place over a series of several meetings, and Cujo seemed at times happy to see Miss Hurston and other times resentful. While he wanted to tell his story, reliving it brought him pain. Cujo was an old man by the time they started. In addition to recounting his middle passage in slavery, Cujo told Miss Hurston of happier times, in particular his marriage to his wife in 1888 and the six children they produced. Cujo also gave an account of the deaths of his children and his wife. One son disappeared and was assumed killed. Another son was murdered by a police officer. His wife and the remaining four children died from illnesses. So just as he was alone when he boarded that ship as a soon-to-be slave, he was alone again in a tiny shack telling his story to a young woman who persistently, yet gently, nudged him to relive those tragic moments in his life. Cujo's life is one of so much loss but it is also one of survival. Cujo died at age 94. He held on to his story until someone came along who wanted to not only hear it, but preserve it. It's obvious that he and Ms. Hurston forged a strong bond during their meetings. Cujo gave her a first-hand account of his life's story, which not only forged a strong bond between them, but also reverberated in her later writings. In return, Ms. Hurston gave him a sense of peace in knowing that his story, the story of an enslaved African becoming an emancipated American, would not be forgotten. And so, to those who wonder, what's up with those black people? In the words of Biggie Smalls, if you don't know, now you know. Thank you for joining us again today for another episode of Round 12. May you live as long as you want and never want as long as you live. May the worst days of your future be like the best days of your past. And may you continue to answer life's bell every time. Until we meet again, time!